Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. So how are we doing today? Um, Josh is living out some well-earned vacation time. Spent Well, you know, he's with family, so take that as you will. You know, sometimes family can be vacation, sometimes it can be... Uh, vacation, right? Um, so, we're getting there. So, uh, we're talking about Philippians, um, and, and Josh is on vacation, like I said, earning well on vacation. You have to hear me speak again, and hopefully you're not tired of it. I've spoke uh, earlier in February. Um, my wife was so tired of it, she just booked a flight to Iceland straight up yesterday, um, took her to the airport. She landed in Iceland today. She said she couldn't do it. She couldn't listen to me speak one more time in the same month. So it is what it is. Um, have you ever, many of us probably haven't gotten to travel uh, very often because of the pandemic, but things are opening up. So some people have been traveling. Elva and I have traveled quite a bit during the pandemic. Uh, having family in two continents uh, kind of makes it a necessity to travel a lot. Um, But I don't know about you guys, but when I travel, and and specifically when I travel by plane, um, and even more so internationally, but just traveling by plane, period, uh, it causes me a little stress. Like, does anyone else get a little stressed out or get a little anxious when when you have to get on a plane, when you have to fly? And it's not that I'm not scared of flying at all. My dad's a pilot. I wanted to be a pilot when I grew up. It's not, I've never had an issue there, Um, but it's, all the things that go into from, hey, let's go on this trip, or we have to go on this trip, to sitting on the plane, right, or landing um, at the destination you're going to, right? Like, first of all, whenever this trip, like this week, Elva's uh, decided she had to go to Iceland, so within like a few days, we had to book a flight, figure out everything, right? So not only do you have to find the right flight, right? You don't want any layover. You don't want any stops. Like if you do have to stop, you want the perfect amount of layover. Like, okay, I need just enough time that I'm not rushing, but I don't want to have to wait any extra long. So I need like 45 minutes to an hour 15. If I've never been to the airport that I'm going to, maybe I don't know the terminal. So maybe I need a little extra time. Like you have to plan all this out, right? You finally booked the flight and you're going up and you're waiting for the day of... The day of, now you have another stress, right? When do I need to get to the airport? Is it going to be busy? When does my flight take off? When does my flight board? Right? You're sitting there and you're going, well, it boards 30 minutes before it takes off. That means I need to be here 30 minutes before that. Well, what if security is really backed up? Then I need to be there earlier than that. The flight's at 8 a.m. That means I got to be there at 6 a.m. That means I got to get up at 5 a.m., which means then the night before I can't stay up super late. But I'm going to be up late because I have to pack before I go, and I hate packing, right? And that's going to be nonsense, right? There's so many things that add to that stress and that, like, flying can just, and uh, it can just, like, make us so, like, seem like everything's going wrong, right? And then you have to make sure you have all your stuff in order, right? Especially if you're flying international. And Elva, she's a, a, a green card holder, so she has to have all this paperwork and all these things to make sure that she can get out of the country, to make sure she can get back in the country, and same thing with like me going to Iceland during the pandemic. We have to have all this stuff showing that we can, that I can even be there. And so when we fly, and then you, right, like have you ever been in the security line and you're going through the security terminal and just felt at ease, felt at peace? Like, ah, made it security. This is great, 
Like, I probably packed everything in my bag perfectly fine. Not worried about that. Do I take my shoes off? Do I keep them on? I'm not worried about that. Do I, you know, does my wrist count? If it's my watch on, is it, does that count? Do I take that off? What about my ring? Is that going to beep? Am I going to get strip searched if I have my ring on? Like, has anyone been in a security line? Like, I'm good. I love being in the security terminal going through to get to the airport, right? I've never per met a psycho. I mean, I've never met a person who liked being in the security line. Because then, like, there's people who are supposed to be six feet behind you who are literally bumping you every step. And it's like, look, man, there's not room. And I got to get all my stuff out of my bag because now you have to take your laptops out. You have to take anything with an ion battery. I don't even know what an ion battery is. It's like, is that my phone? Is that, like, my shoes? I don't know. Like, there's a lot of stuff that comes out. And you get through the security, hopefully, without my bag gets checked every single time without fail. And I pay attention to the rules. I never have anything crazy in there. Like, I never have liquid, all these things. But for whatever reason, my bag's always the one that goes into the second aisle. And like, I need to check your bag. And it's like, I know, believe me, I, I was ready for this. And you get through there, and you finally make it to your terminal. Now you have to find the gate, right? Hopefully you're there in time. You're not rushing to your gate. So you're finding, is it B27? Is it changed to D84? Like, changing back and forth. You go there, then what boarding class are you in? Like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, you know, whatever it is. I didn't do my alphabet really well. And then finally, your ticket gets called, you get on the plane, you put your bag overhead, you sit down, and what is that moment? That's a moment of, I have done everything in my control now. I can just sit here. It is out of my hands. When I sit down on the plane after doing all these things, it is like a moment of peace for me. I am just, yes. I'm still, now some people are like, I hate flying and that's a moment of terror for me. But if for everything that goes into it, you've done everything you can to get to that spot. And once you get to that spot, it's kind of out of your hands, right? I'm about to get my pretzels, my can of Coke or water, and I'm going to fly. And hopefully everything from here on out will be pleasant because for the next hour, two hours, three hours, six hours, I'm just supposed to sit here. And it's kind of like, for me at least, this moment of so much stress and anxiousness of like figuring out, out everything until you just sit down and you have this moment where you're like, okay, I made it. We made it. We're here. We left the oven on, but we're here, right? We made it. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about that today, about how to find peace in our lives. Um, and we're going to we're going to discuss that a little bit later. If you've read over this chapter, um, chapter four in Philippians before, or if you um, read it over it, you know, to, to prepare for this Sunday, you'll kind of see that Paul is he's not all over the place, but he's kind of just like throwing out a lot of stuff at us. You know, he's kind of wrapping up this letter to the church of Philippi and he's doing a couple things. He's listing some things that like he wanted to make sure that he got to. And he's also kind of reinforcing some other things that he's talked about previously um, in the book, so in the chapter. So let's um, dive right into it, right? So verse 2 and 3 says, I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. This seems like a little odd because it seems like it's very addressed to two or three people. 
Um, but there's an importance of reason, the reason that he is addressing this to the entire church. He's listing these two ladies who are very um, important to the church of Philippi. They were some of the people that were at the beginning, and they are prominent members of this organization and of this church who obviously have a dis- big disagreement over something. And what I, what I like about this is he doesn't even get to the, into the problem they're having. The only thing he addresses in front of the whole church is help these two come to be unified. Help them come to be the same mind. Because because these are two key, key members who have this division, it can cause division amongst the whole church. And so, you know, we don't know them personally. But what we do gather from this is that there's a couple things you can gather from just these two verses. On one hand, Paul really cares for the people he served with and the churches that he serves. You know, Paul's in prison right now. He's writing a letter to the entire church there, but he makes an important two verses to call this situation about name, call these people by name, and reinforce that their names are in the book of life. So he's talking about these people who he loved and cared for, who served with him, and he sees this division in them. He sees this strife come amongst them, and he wants to make sure that we that he makes a point of bringing this to light, of saying we should be of one mind. As a church, as a community, it is hard sometimes, it is difficult sometimes to not let little things fester and to divide us, right? Whether they're biblical, whether they're personal, whether they're cultural, there's a lot of times there's ways that we can separate. And what Paul is trying to reiterate here is care for one another, we must be of one mind. We must be of a unified approach. And so I, I think that's important I, I, because Paul calls these people out. Right now. It, see, it shows the importance of these ladies. It shows the importance of what they meant to him and, and the importance of what it means to be of one mind. Um, and so we're going to go ahead and go on to the next point. And so this is kind of the second part that, talk, that Paul talks about. He kind of goes through three Three or four things here in this in this short verses. But in verse verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, I talked about back in December, if you're here, I talked about joy and we talked about what that looks like, a Christ like joy kind of throughout. Paul's, I mean, throughout the Bible, of course, but even throughout Paul's uh, book in, here in Philippi, he talks about being joyful in the Lord. This is a time that he's reiterating the importance of what it means to be you know, joyful. And it's a joy that is evident in a Christian's life. You know, when you're really happy about something, something that makes you actually joyful, like it, like it excites you and it, and it brings pure joy... Many times it's very evident, right? If it's a new album, if it's something like a new job, a a new relationship, these things that bring us these kind of short-term joy or long-term joy, it's very evident, right? And when we have a daily relationship, when we come to know Christ and we accept that relationship and we learn of his love, it is in in the joy we have in that, really we shouldn't be able to help but but it be evident in our life. It should be an overwhelming joy that that floods through our lives and, and fuels everything else. And so what he's saying, he's reminding them, saying, be joyful, like let rejoice in Christ and let this be known. 
And he also says a, a, a unique word. He says, be reasonable with one another. There are many translations um, of the Bible, and they use a lot of words here. They use reasonableness, gentleness, um, forbearance to, you know, deal with one another. It's we should be separate. We should look different than a non-believer. And what I mean by that is that that we should be showing the kindness and the love of Christ through every day. There are a lot of things that happen in our, our world today that cause a lot of people pain. From cultural things, racial things, political things, worldly things, things by different countries. There's a lot of things that happen today that there are people normally split on two different sides of or three different sides of what they think was right, what they think was wrong. And many times in my experience, and you can think on this yourself, where do Christians sit in that? You know, there there are followers of Christ who serve and who just explode with kindness and they want to help these people who are hurting. But there are also people who, you know, I think of Christian Twitter. Has anybody been a part of Christian Twitter or Christian Facebook? Where you see these, uh, where you see, you know, a lot of people who are using God's name or, or whatever to either judge or to cause division or to cause more pain to say like, hey, the, our, our, the, our job as a follower of Christ is not to be the first to say this is right, this is wrong. Our job is to be the first to listen and to care for these people who are hurting. Whether or right, the problem at hand is right or wrong, whether, whether, whatever that issue is, our first instinct should be how can we care for those who are hurting? How can we be, when, when someone has pain, they should see Christians as the ones who like, I should go to them because they will listen to me. They will care for me. And, and we don't, as Christians are supposed to like back down from our beliefs or do something unbiblical, but it's to show kindness, to show love and then deal with the problem. It's not to cast judgment or to, to come up and say, hey, we're right. This is right. You're wrong. I don't care if it hurts you or hurts someone else. This is what should be done. No, the, 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 the challenge that Paul is saying, he's, he's almost writing a new form of Christian society. It's a new way of living. It's a way that when people view Christians, they don't view us as someone who would judge them or hurt them or cause more pain. It's someone that would listen to them. They would care for them. They would be reasonable with them. They would be gentle with them. And I think that's so rare in today's society. It's extremely rare to see someone or see a group of people that genuinely, more than anything, want to express kindness and you can see that evident in their life and it's not an easy thing to do but the fact that we are followers of christ we have a enabling grace of christ to help us do that to help us show that kindness and show that grace and to show the joy and express the joy to others of what god's done in our lives When you live that way, when you live a relationship, a daily relationship, striving after Christ, there will be evidence in your life of joy from Christ. There will be evidence of kindness and, and gentleness and 
reasonableness amongst one another. And this is what Paul is trying to iterate and get across. Short answer long, long answer short. You should look different than a non-believer when it comes to these kind of things. We should look different when strife comes up, when pain comes up, how we react to that, how we care for one another. We should look different. So that brings down to verse six. We shouldn't be reactive in prayer, but we should be proactive in prayer. I want to read verse six for you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This when I was preparing to teach on this and I was studying this, you know, it really just like hit me. This this verse right here where he ends the, the verse seven with saying um, the peace of, of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, there's a there's some truth to, to preventative. And doing things proactively opposed to reactively, right? Does anyone like going to the dentist? Maybe you do. To me, this is what going to the dentist is like. It's like I have a dentist appointment in two weeks, so I'm not looking forward to it. But here we go. A dentist is a place you go, right? They tell you you're really bad at something and then they charge you a ton of money. That's pretty much how I feel about the dentist. Um, like you go there and you sit down and they, they make you fill out these huge surveys or they uh, will sit you down and ask you questions like, hey, do you eat food? And you're like, yeah. And you're like, gross. And it's like, oh, OK. And it's like, do you drink anything but water in your life? Yeah, I've had some. Oh, OK. Yeah, gross. Like everything, every time like they ask me these questions, I just feel like I'm always getting every answer wrong. It's like, have you flossed six times yesterday? No. Oh, like that's bad. And it's like every like I don't think I've ever been to a dentist and they were like, you did a great job. Like they never asked me a question and I answered it. And they're like, correct. No, it was like, oh, OK. Right. And I kid you not. I went to a dentist like, you know, it's been a while, like eight or nine months ago. And. The dentist, no lie. This is what he told me. Now, he asked me, do you floss regularly? My answer not really. I'm not very good at flossing. He's like, okay, okay. You work from home, right? I was like, yeah, I work from home. He's like, great. This is what I want you to do. Now, I told him I don't floss very regularly. Now, what that means is not very much. Now you're all looking at my teeth like gross. But he goes, okay, this is, what you, this is all you need to do. This is all you need to do. You work from home, so you're always at home. It's easy for you to do this, right? I want you to wake up. I want you to floss. I want you to brush your teeth. I was like, okay, heard that before. After you eat breakfast, I want you to go back, brush your teeth, floss again. I was like, you're already getting a little lot from me, but here we go. Then lunchtime, brush your teeth, floss again. So we're at three flossings per day now, right? Is that, is, am I reading you right? Okay, then. If you eat a snack that afternoon before dinner, go ahead and just floss one time, just right before dinner. I'm like, okay, we're at four. 
after dinner, I want you to floss, brush your teeth, and you'll probably have a snack later on. So then before you go to bed, brush your teeth, floss again. So he wanted me to floss more times in that day than I had probably done in the month before. But, you know, it's a lot, right? I'm the kind of person that when my dentist appointment is like the next day, I've like brushed my teeth 15 times a day before. I like try not to eat anything. And in the day of, I'm like mouthwash, flossing, brushing my teeth, doing the whole thing like every hour on the hour. Does that work? If anyone knows anything about dental work, it does not work, right? Because the damage was already done. It's like a reactive way. It's like a way of like, okay, the, the dentist is here. The, the appointment's tomorrow. I, I haven't been flossing. Let me just make up lost time and, and just go really hard right now. But the sugar, the food, all that's already been eating away at your teeth, right? And I think sometimes we treat prayer this way. Whether it's something good or bad, especially when it's something that causes us anxiety or stresses us out because it's something big, maybe out of our control and something or maybe something that that causes us pain or hurts us. And when that moment comes, that's when we go to God. That's when we're like, oh, we're going to pray like crazy now because we're in this pain we're, we're, we have this stress that's causing us. We're, we're like in the, the challenge of it now, we're in the mud of it now, and now we pray as much as we can to get out of this or to, to make us to go through this. And what Paul is saying is, this is a peace that can guard your heart from these stress. This is a peace that if you are continually living a life in prayer, if you are daily seeking and talking to God, it guards you from this pain. It can guard you and it can lead to having this peace that is so overwhelming, it's not even understandable. I mean, look at who Paul is writing this from prison. And yet he's, he's, he's like speaking this out of like what he's living. He's like, I'm in prison right now. I shouldn't have peace at all, but I have a peace that is so overwhelming. I've never felt this peace in my life. Sitting on a concrete dirt prison floor. You know, there have been times in my life where I felt so overwhelmed that like, it felt like there was no way I could even like, imagine having peace. So stressed or so much in pain that peace didn't even seem like it was a thing that could be grasped. And then there are times in my life that I, I can recall that, that I was going through some extremely tough challenges and... I was daily talking to God and, and, and God moved in a way that provided me peace that I can't even put into words sometimes. Some of you have probably went through some tribulations or challenges where maybe you lost a loved one or maybe you've lost a job or maybe you lost a relationship or, or whatever it is. Or maybe you're just so overwhelmed with the pandemic or whatever it is and it feels like there's no way I could even find peace. And what Paul is saying, if you would daily seek God and you would daily talk to God and you would daily put your life in prayer, that peace is attainable. There's hope for a life of peace when you seek after God. And that provides me so much hope to think that when everything seems down, if I would take my words to God, there's a God who cares and loves for me. Sometimes we feel like that no one would even care or that sometimes we're in these situations that everything's down. But there's a God who created all the universe, all the, everyone in it, and he cares for you. 
Enough to hear your prayer. Enough to give you the ability to pray to him, to talk with him, to communicate with him. And so we shouldn't be reactive in our prayers. So many times in my own life, all I can see is reaction. All I can see is myself going, oh, things are really bad now. I got to start praying again. Maybe I should read my Bible. Maybe I should start going to church again. Maybe I should start trying to talk to God more. But in reality, if we would seek after God, holy every day, putting our, our troubles and putting our successes and putting our worries all to God, give it to him, there is a road that would lead to peace. You know, when I pray reactively, right, when I'm stressed, I'm about to, like, share something with you. So hopefully uh, you guys can relate. Otherwise, it's going to make me sound terrible. But have you ever, like, been really going through something that's stressing you out or causing you pain? And you just, like, try to pray about it. And then you start praying about it. And then all you can start doing is thinking about that thing. And then before you know it, you're not even praying anymore. You're just, like, worrying about that thing. Nobody. Cool, 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 cool. Right. Right. Like sometimes when we pray reactively, when we when we're in the heat of the moment, when we're in these this trouble and this pain and this stress and this like we're praying about that. And next thing I know, I'm closing my eyes. I'm, I'm thinking about that. And now I'm thinking about that. And now I'm thinking about that. And now I'm thinking about that. And all I'm thinking is the thing that stresses me out. And Paul's saying there's a better way. There's a way that if we would proactively guard ourselves with prayer, we'd proactively seek God and put our things to him. And this is not something that has to be professional. Like, like my dentist was saying, he's saying, I got to do this 10 time flossing and brushing a day. That's an extreme change from flossing fairly unregularly, right? But what if I started flossing once a day or twice? What if you started praying what if what if you started practically when you started your week, anything that week that was going to cause you stress, you wrote it down or was going to cause you a little bit of worry and you, you wrote it down and you prayed for it that week in a moment on a Sunday or a Saturday or a Monday. Started small, something simple that can lead to a proactively recurring thing of where you're bringing these things to God. I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you. Prayer should be more prominent in my life as a follower of Christ. We'll go on now to the next. What is on your mind? Some of you just started listening. Some of you were like, I was thinking about food. I was thinking about, you know, it's a beautiful day. I'm going to go hang out before all this cold weather comes in next week. But what is on your mind in a sense of what is on your mind recurringly daily In verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything uh, worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, this is like a beautiful set of verses right here, right? Of like a word flow. And these things are not te- technically like biblical um, virtues of a, of, a, of a person or of good things, right? Like these could be 
you know, true, commendable, um, just. These are things that like even the world would consider like good things, right? Things that should be lived out or things that should be thought on. But there is an even further push that because we are a Christian, we should exemplify these things and think on these things. And, and the word they use here for excellence, the Greek word that translated it was like the best word they had for virtue. It was like the best word that they could have. So it's like it's like the very best of someone who is virtuous. And Paul is saying, think on these things. You know, when you I am by no means a doctor or anyone who deals understands you know, anxiety or stress, and I'm not trying to get into anything crazy there, but I did look up one thing, and it said stress tightens your muscles. It increases your heart rate, kind of turns on that fight or flight. You've probably heard that before, right? And it can be a good thing, right? If you're maybe an athlete and you start getting kind of like the moment, the big moment, right? Like I played sports, so I understand like, you know, obviously I was the best in the moment, right? Like I always hit the game-winning shot, um, of course. No, not really. Probably missed most of them. But when you get like that stress, that fight or flight, it can be a good thing in certain situations. But many times in our everyday life, if we start thinking about and, and we're continually thinking on these things that stress us out, it just makes it harder to relax ourselves and to make that peace. Right. And, you know, it's. When, when you've ever thought of something that there's something in your life that causes you stress Typically, when you think about it, it will make you feel a certain way, right? Like my, I mentioned earlier, Elva, she's a, um, a green card resident holder, which I will tell you is a huge success because it took us like close to two years of a process to get there. Probably like 300 pages of paperwork and a lot of money and a lot of fights. Elva and I don't really fight. We're both pretty relaxed people. We don't get stressed out incredibly easy, but I'm going to tell you the green card application and anytime we get a mail, a letter, we had a letter come in a couple weeks ago from the green card, uh, from the, the UCIS who handles the green card stuff. And instantly I just tightened up. I was like, oh no. I was like, oh gosh, what is it? And Alva did the same thing. What is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? Open it, open it, open it. Like, because there's so much anxiety. Like, anytime we see green card, it just makes me feel so like, oh no, here we go again. Like, it's going to be painful. What do they want us to do? How much is it going to cost? What? And, and also, it is like, you know how taxes are confusing? Like, hey, we know a number you owe us, but we won't tell you. Like, hope you get it right or jail. You know, like, the, the, the green card is very similar. It's like, hey, here's like, thousands of pages of paperwork you can pay a lawyer a lot of money that you don't have to do this or you can figure it out on your own winner winner we tried to figure it out on our own and it's very tough right because it's like a lot of stuff and elva doesn't know any of it because it's all like really weird english words and like government stuff and i'm trying to act like i know what it is but she's asking me more questions so it's just even more stress right every time i get that i just feel so just like the opposite of peace, in a sense. Like, it's just like so much going against me. It's like, I can't. Every time this thing comes up, it just makes me feel this way where it's like, and, and, and you probably haven't been through that situation, but I'm sure you can think of things in your life where you're like, every time this comes up, man, it just stresses me out. Man, it just makes me so uncomfortable. It just makes me so restless. It makes me stay up at night. And 
you know, we have those things in our life. And during almost the entire year of us waiting or filling out the green card paperwork, and at the time, Elva and I were uh, separated. She was still in school. I was up here in Denver working. So it was even worse because, like, every conversation was about the green card, and every every night conversation was this thinking about the green card. Every night was like, we got to do this. And my mind, and Elva's mind, was continually on this this thing that's caused us, like, discomfort, caused us kind of stress, like, made our relationship stress. Because... Every thought was continually on that, and there was never a stop. There was never a time that we stopped thinking about that until finally she got her green card. And then it was misspelled. And a misspelled green card is not like, hey, let's just send it back and change it. It's like, no. You have to fill out way more paperwork, pay more money, and wait a year. It took us longer to get the correct spelled green card than it did to get the actual green card. Like, when we get in these rhythms of thinking on these things, it's so easy just to stay thinking about them. And it's kind of hard to think about good things sometimes. It's, it's so much easier, I feel like, to think about things that are like negative and causing us stress. Like if you look at the news or you look at day-to-day life and you look at these things and just in your own life, it's more easy to think like, Oh, like I have this big work assignment coming up or, oh, I have, you know, we got to go do this this week and we have to go hang out with these people this week and we have to go do this. And we start thinking about a lot of these things and that's where our mind strays to and continues to like magnetize to. To continue to think on those things that like kind of can cause that stress for us. What Paul is saying is, hey, change your mind, set your mind on these things that are true, just, excellent, virtue, all these things like, like, Shift your mindset to where your mind is on one hand praying and continually talking to God and on the other hand continually thinking of things that are godly and righteous. You know, it's it's not an easy transition. It's not an easy transition to get our mind to change and to move to where, hey, all I want to think about and all I'm going to think about is those things of Christ. And in, in, in my daily life, I'm going to seek after him. and I'm going to pray. I'm going to have a conversation here. I'm going to continue to talk with him. And this will help lead me to a, a closer relationship with Christ that can lead to peace in my life. Paul wraps up with verse nine. He says. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. He just says, practice it. He doesn't say, do it now or be a failure. He doesn't say, hey, at some point in your life, way down the road, you know, you'll figure this out. He just says, practice it. You know, Paul is a very, like, straight to the point, very apical. He lives everything. He kind of talks. And he says, practice Paul has been teaching this church. He's been leading his church. That He's very reputable and known from these people at church. He, they, they've seen him live. And so he says, practice these things. Practice praying. Practice thinking on these things. If nothing else, practice what you have seen in me. I don't know if you have someone in your life that you've seen that, that has a, a peace that is empowered by God or a, a comfort in a daily powerful prayer life. But if you do know someone... Practice like them. Start learning to live that way and, and seek after how God wants you to live in that way. And 
I can tell you from experience, if you daily give up your successes, your worries, whatever they are, downfalls to God in prayer, continually, proactively, it'll change the way that you view the world. It'll change the way you view your successes, your downfalls, because you will know that that is in the hand of God and not in your hands. You don't have to control these things you can't control. Set your mind on these things. Strive for it. Fight for it. A life of prayer can lead to a life of peace. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. I told my dentist I'm not going to floss ten times a day. I'm not. It's not going to happen. But I'll try. I'll try to I'll try to floss once a day or twice a day. I'm making up numbers that sound better than what I'm actually doing, just to make y'all not like want to stand next to me if my breath is bad. But I promise I brush my teeth at least two or three times a day. But if if you can think on your own life right now, as we go into we come in the conclusion, the band can come up if they want to. How many times do you stop and submit yourself humbly to God, thanking him for and praising him and, and going to him in prayer? When I think about this in my own life. It kind of hurts. It kind of like makes me so disappointed. Like how much am I actually giving to God? Am I saying these daily prayers of like, hey, God, thank you for this food. Let's make this life. But am I actually giving him what worries me? Am I actually praising him for what I'm successful about, what I love and what I'm excited about? Think on these things. Think about what your daily prayer looks like. Could it be improved? Could you grow closer to God if you talk to him? Could you be thinking about things that better support your life biblically? Could you set your mind on God? Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.